This is Future Sight, a show from Capgemini Invent. I'm Ollie Judge. On this show, we explore new ways for you to adapt and grow for the future in business. This week, we're talking about the metaverse, or rather, metaverses. The term has been at the tip of everyone's tongues as we look forward to a whole new paradigm of how the physical world interacts with the digital world. The word metaverse means many different things to many different people. On this episode, we'll be looking into how ownership works, how we navigate the galaxy of metaverses, and how you can start to strategize about how to build within one. Yeah, I mean, like, I think for me, the metaverse is definitely uh, an umbrella term. And it's an umbrella term which is kind of bringing together a lot of different amalgamations. My name is Carrie Bemaya, and I am CTIO of Capgemini Invent. And these amalgamations on one side are technological. So in that context, I look at the metaverse as being like this perfect playground almost, where a lot of advances in like hardware, whether it's in terms of like tiny ML and really, you know, advanced sensor technology, on-device intelligence, um, or VR and AR headsets, or even the consoles, they are now kind of like pushing the frontier in terms of what exactly can be captured from an external environment. And once you've got this external environment information that comes in, how do you actually create a, a, almost a one-to-one, or even in some cases go beyond a one-to-one representation um, in a virtual context, which means that has impacts on, impacts on technologies related to com- computation, um, networking, um, a lot of the platforms that you require for you know all this place to come, come and meet somewhere. Um, and once they've kind of met together, then you have to start thinking in terms of interoperability because you're not just thinking in terms of a metaverse. You know, a metaverse is, is, is an umbrella term, but there can be multiple different types of metaverses, um, which means that you need to also think in terms of um, interoperability, in terms of tools, in terms of standards. Um, and then once you've kind of got all these technical components working in some kind of synchronicity, how do you actually valorize it? How do you kind of like in, involve incentive structures um, that allow creators and participants to make content, to have value-added services and even assets, um, all of which can be exchanged in some kind of economic uh, benefit? So for me, that's what kind of like the metaverse actually looks looks at in terms of like just a, a technological and a, and, a, and a business kind of a perspective. But you can also kind of extend the definition of a metaverse to a more social paradigm in which it's it's no longer just the fact of like, you know, before we had the internet and after the internet, we had mobile. And what the mobile actually did was bring the internet to our hands. You could say that the metaverse is kind of extending this, right? But it's extending it in, 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 in such a way that, first of all, everything is kind of like synchronous. Everything is is is, is live all the time. Um, anyone who wants to participate in the metaverse has kind of got like this sense of presence, you know, in which they can participate in a specific event or an activity. And what that allows you to do is kind of like really turbocharge individual agency, create like tribes and cliques and all these different kinds of like economies, you could almost say to a certain extent. Um, but it's it's an experience that 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 pushes the boundaries of what is physical and digital, of what is public and what is private, and what is open and what is closed. And I think that's something that's really interesting because every time you've got a lot of this meshing which happens through interoperability, 
it leads to the creation of a lot of kind of unforeseen um, innovations. And I'm kind of like still quite happy about the fact that it's happening in the video game space because if you look at a lot of the technological ev evolutions in, 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 in digital today, they come from that area, right? So like payment structures and just being able to do a lot of the 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 graphic design stuff that comes from that 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 sector you could say and so the fact that it's creating this new kind of paradigm is not something that's really very surprising to me i i think it's always the place where when technology and creativity meet it always leads to this explosion of 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 ideas and the way that it's being manifested today is in this umbrella term um facebook can go ahead and create their metaverse i mean to each his own if they want to rebrand that's up to them but I don't think that they're going to be the be-all and the end-all. And that's why I think the, the application of decentralized technologies like blockchain is going to be super important moving forward because it allows us to have diversity in the definition of metaverse. Sure. So I'm going to come back to something that you were talking about earlier and the, the tribes and the economies that are, are, are beginning to get pulled out of all of this. So I'm, I'm going to divide the metaverse up into three different things. Property. Um, so ownership of things and the creation of of assets whether it's something creative or a business unit or or a currency um transit so how do we move those things around and why do we need to move those things around and how efficient that process is and extension so talking about compute and what we can do with the property and how we move it around and, and what we can add to the properties to make them more valuable or more useful in different contexts so Starting off with a property, like any any new world, or in this context, a universe or a metaverse, uh, people need to own things. They need to own the land to build things on or build their towns from. But keeping track of that kind of property is really tricky. How do you in a digital world where you can't point at a brick that you pot on the floor and go, "That's mine"? Um, what do you do? And I, I think the the most obvious example of this is blockchain tech um so I, I think our listeners have a pretty like pretty good rudimentary knowledge of what blockchain is as as you, you know a mark and standard digital record that is decentralized but in this context where you're going to have multiple services coming in and using this data why is why is it better to put things on a blockchain rather than say facebook running their own centralized version that they potentially have more control of. You can use a centralized architecture when it makes sense, right? So if you've got a inherently decentralized architecture, like Facebook, for example, if you've got people from all around the world coming connecting to your, your place, maybe you want to have something which is a bit more decentralized because it resembles the complexity of the environment you're dealing with. Like a, a, a centralized kind of a, a ledger only makes sense if you have trust on every participant that's coming inside over there. And you, you can't say that when, when you're working with something which is like Facebook, which is totally decentralized. So the main attribute that makes blockchain, you know, so popular today and the reason that it was actually created was the ability to kind of outsource the trust to the code. It's the reason that, you know, people go into it and yeah, you still have KYC and ALM kind of procedures if you want to join certain kinds of like wallets and, and platforms. Um, because they are, they're now regulated. But at the same time, the fact that you've got something which is decentralized helps you kind of sidestep that and you can trust the person or at least like trust the 
the court to do its job. So I just feel that that kind of situation is 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 a lot more tangible and sensible if you're trying to go and create like a decentralized um, um, marketplace, which is what they're trying to do, right? You're not just creating the metaverse so that people can come over there and put their NFTs, but there needs to be some kind of value exchange going on. So this is how you kind of do it. You outsource the problem to someone else per se, and in this case, it's the code. Um, I think this is something which is, again, it needs to be looked at in either a social context and also a business context. So on one side, if you look at the business context, the tokenization of assets is already happening. Um, for example, um, if people are used to using FTX, which is a trading platform for you know selling a lot of your crypto assets, today you can go over there and you can find tokenized stock. Tokenized stock of Tesla, of Google, of uh, Home Depot. I mean, there's a whole bunch of them out there. So the fact that you can already tokenize an existing electronic um, asset is something that's that's happening. But more importantly, the ability to kind of have a space where you're able to tokenize a, a certain kind of an asset is also the learning curve that you need in order to make it more and more tangible into the real world. So the same thing that's happening in terms of tokenizing stock is now going for tokenizing bonds. And what people are also doing is trying to tokenize real estate. Why would you tokenize real estate? Well, because it turns out that every time you need to kind of like sell, let's say, a piece of property, the reason that you pay a notary to come and kind of do the evaluation, you pay them quite a hefty sum, is because they need to kind of look at, okay, what's the actual foot traffic around this piece of property? What's the noise levels? How is the, you know, situation of the building? Like, is it is it in good shape, et cetera, et cetera. These kind of things are repetitive functions, which can be encoded, can be used, you can use IoT to get the right information. And essentially, if you kind of like tokenize a physical building and see how it's kind of like performance is evolving over five years, at the end of the five-year period, you can use the necessary data to come up with its you know, perceived value on the market. Um, why is that good? Because you don't have to pay a notary to come and do this. You know, I'm sure they, there'll still be a function for them. There's a lot of like, non-data related things which um, a notary has a role in but this is something which i think is is interesting because what started off as just being able to create a virtual property and house virtual assets on it is now moving into the physical world and this doesn't happen in a very seamless way it happens in spurts and you know in specific areas but what the metaverse is kind of helping us do is kind of get an understanding of how you can make something very, very illiquid and transferable. And the blockchain is kind of perfectly suited to that. Um, last point I'd say is like, value is connected to velocity. And what I mean by that is, let's say that you've got um, a certain amount of capital that you want to use in order to invest or do something. The speed at which you can move the money around and the way that you can make something which is uh, illiquid, liquid, has a big effect on the efficiency of an economy. And today, for example, that's where we have a lot of bottlenecks. You want to do a transfer, you've got to wait for T plus two. You want to be able to make an illiquid um, asset, a liquid asset, it takes a lot of time. But when you look at the metaverse, what it's allowing you is to kind of see a new template in which if you've got like an asset which is, you know, exists, it belongs to a certain person, it could be a skin, it could be an NFT, the speed at which I can transfer its ownership to someone else via smart contract and putting in the right kind of collateral payments, et cetera, et cetera, that offers a kind of um, efficiency which the consumer gets addicted to. You know, think about it. Like now when, if you order an Uber, 
you get irritated if the Uber's two minutes late. Whereas 10 years back, before Uber was kind of like, you know, being used by everyone, you just accept the fact that, okay, I need to go and find like a cab and call up a cab and do this and do that. And it was normal to wait for 30 minutes. Today, you get irritated if it's two minutes late. So we have this tendency as a species at the moment we get exposed to a new efficiency, we don't want to go back to how things were. And I think with NFTs, what it's doing is it's creating that cultural change, which leads to a consumer mindset, which then needs to be translated into a business demand. And then you find the companies which start kind of like providing it first, they get the first mover advantage. So that's kind of like the way that I see this interplay between, you know, virtual properties, the velocity of efficiency, and how that translates into an actual tangible business outcome down the line. So if we look at NFTs, they're of a lot of what we see are JPEGs, PNGs, or, or, or like little bits of art. Whereas what you're saying is that the, the more interesting thing is going to come down the line where the like an NFT, a non-fungible token, doesn't have to be a piece of art. It, it, it could be anything that you encapsulate as, as an object, um, essentially. And uh, for our listeners who maybe seeing or nfts are kind of like a weird reverse gold rush that people are creating the gold to sell um rather than finding it um unlike the 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 initial sort of like crypto gold rush but um so when people are looking at nfts and everything that's going on now i I think it's it's rather tempting for anyone to spin up an nft of their own and try and sell it but how should companies that could potentially add more to this like you you were talking about land registries or or potentially we can think about real contracts encapsulated within smart contracts or stock or all that kind of stuff how do people get started in this space what do they how do they need to think about in terms of like yeah so uh, like uh, thinking about it in uh, sorry go ahead in terms of like making an NFT or investing in it, because those are two different things. Um, I think let, let's start with making an NFT. So, okay. sh- should uh, should people be creating NFTs right now, or should we be waiting for the technology to mature a little bit so that people can add more, or is it in the right space to start to build your own business units within NFTs that you could create networks on top of? Yeah. So in terms of like making your NFT, I don't think you can sit back on the sidelines and wait for the technology to reach a certain kind of a level because you can do that if you're a little bit risk averse and you're just like, hmm, I'm, I'm a bit skeptical about this. I'm not really sure how this is going to work out. But the problem that you have when you do that is there's other people out there who don't share the same sense of urgency as you do. And they jump into it with, with both feet sometimes and they start creating you know, tremendous amounts of value, even when the the tech is kind of like a bit clunky and you know, it's not all, all the way out there. And I, I'll give you a good example of this, right? So one of the most interesting spaces which merges the metaverse along with blockchain is this new video game that's out there that's called Star Atlas. And in Star Atlas, each and every um, component, like whether it's the spaceship or if it's a character's outfit or the skins on the weapons, Everything is an NFT. So if you're a creator or an artist, you can go and participate over there in which you create an NFT, which is specific to that game. So you see the game and you see like the worlds that they have created. And, and, and it's, it's like, you know, it's a very uh, intricate game. It's not just something that's very basic. It's multiple levels, there's multiple evolutions. So there's a lot of room for you as a creative person to kind of jump inside over there and create these, these artworks which can be used or be bought. 
Now you come in as a participant and you can actually acquire these, but they're NFTs, so you have ownership about them. And as the game kind of gains more and more popularity, evidently, you know, if you've got like a really cool skin or a very powerful um, spaceship, then there's other people who want to bid on it and they want to buy it. So as these people go ahead and kind of buy this, um, you now create a, a marketplace where you can exchange these things. There'll be special edition things that come out. And, you know, it's, it's the whole kind of like video game world, except that right now, every component in it is now an economic engine. And I think this is something that's really interesting um, because they built this on the Solana blockchain. So the project is maybe around a year and a half old. It was released, um, I think, around you know, August or September of this year. So it's pretty new. It's gathering a lot of interest. You can just go on the Twitters and you can see you know, everyone kind of commenting on it. It's, it's really becoming popular. But at the same time, Solana which was the blockchain that they used because they needed a high-velocity blockchain. They needed something that could deal with a lot of throughput. They selected the Solana blockchain to use it. Solana, on the other hand, got attacked. It had a DDoS attack uh, pretty recently, I think a month and a half back or something like that. And even though it is a third-generation blockchain and kind of like, you know, um, sidesteps a lot of the issues which you probably got today with blockchains like Ethereum, um, you're seeing the actual buildup of sophisticated businesses. I mean, everything in, um, um, in Star Atlas is built using the Unreal Engine 5. So it's, it's, it's like a sophisticated uh, game by itself. On a technology which, yes, by the way, it's going to have a couple of issues. Now, if you're a video game publisher, like, um, I don't know, Epic Games or whoever it is, or, or Blizzard or whoever, maybe you're saying to yourself, yeah, I want to kind of go down the... Um, the blockchain route and kind of merge my game and this metaverse kind of a thing with the blockchain. But does that mean you're going to wait till Solana kind of like proves its point and then you've had more of these kind of like stress tests that happen? It's a company level decision. Or do you want to kind of like get some of the, the first mover advantage, build up on the existing audience you've got, if you're Fortnite or someone like that, and say that, no, I'm going to try this out, maybe in a test net, maybe on a smaller scale, maybe I won't expose the whole um, and um, the, the user base to it. It's really a decision up to you. But the fact that this is going to happen one way or the other is going on right now. So I, 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 there's no kind of like cut and dry answer that you can give to this. It's whether you want to do it, you can do it. And people are going to do it with what they have. And yeah, it'll reach a certain level of sophistication and security as time goes along. All right. So I, I want to go back to talking about game engines and, and the video game layer that it is sort of on top of it and, and talk about the, the people that are building the tools that help you traverse a metaverse. Um, metaverses um, obviously go a lot beyond um, just the flat screen. Um, you can move within them. You can display things within them. I, I mean, Star Atlas, we're talking about spaceships and all that kind of... Uh, there's a huge range of what we can do. However... Here's one giant big limitation, which is computation power. And it, this is a problem that video game companies have been trying to solve for a long time, that as much as they trick you to, into feeling like you're in a world with thousands of people, usually you're not. So if, if we take the example of World of Warcraft, for example, it, it's split into a million little servers underneath, underneath the big thing to make you feel like you're part of a bigger community. I... I personally think that this is going to be a huge hold up on the whole metaverse um, sort of system. We're not going to see a big, giant, singular metaverse for a long time. 
But what we might see is, a, as you said earlier, a pool of little different metaverses. How do you think those metaverses are going to talk to each other? Um, I, I think this is one of the, the biggest opportunities that lies within the metaverses that we've got assets that might be able to move across different metaverses so for example a skin that um, is obtained in one metaverse might be transferable to a different metaverse but have a, a different property so for example it could be the livery of a plane or or a, a, a piece of fashion in a different game but or, or a metaverse but um, still utilizing the same pattern that you obtained um where, where are we going to see the value transfer between metaverses? Are people going to play nice with each other? And and is transit and traversal going to be a problem going in the future? Uh, going into the future? Yeah, the, this is this is exactly the same issue that you got with blockchain today, right? So you've got all these new blockchains that have popped up, like Cardano and Solana and Algorand, and you know, there's a whole bunch of them out there right now. But if you talk to anyone who kind of like works in these blockchains they will tell you that their blockchains today are kind of like dumb deaf and blind that they can't really communicate with any other blockchain so within this blockchain you can do a lot of stuff you can build your dApps, you can build your dexes you can do a lot of stuff inside of it but the moment that it starts having to kind of like have some kind of interoperability then you run into problems and you run into problems because um, what you have on this blockchain can't communicate with another blockchain so there's different ways to kind of like um, on one side, you, there are things like side chains and just interoperability that's happening right now. So you could look at Cardano, they're doing a lot of work right now in terms of being able to build bridges between the Cardano blockchain and the Nexus blockchain. And they're also trying to do the same thing with Ethereum because, you know, Ethereum has got like the largest user base right now. So they need to be able to have some way that people can transfer their assets between these two blockchains. And the smart contract needs to be able to understand that, oh, okay, this is coming from here. So I know, you know this is what I need to, to refer and this is what I need to do as the output operation. On the other hand, you've also got um, these kind of like other solutions which are coming out, which, which is more in terms of um, um, oracles, for example, in which you connect the off-chain to the on-chain. So we don't have total interoperability yet in which I can just kind of like have an asset on this blockchain and send it to any other blockchain um, on top of which you have a metaverse that's built. We're not there yet, but we're definitely moving towards that. In the meantime, we will have different kinds of solutions like the bridging, like the side chains, which are in, in process of development, uh, like the oracles, which allow you to have some commonality because everyone's using the same off-chain information so that you can verify. Or the easiest one is just in marketplaces. So if you have an asset, let's say in X video game, which is working on Y blockchain, you can go to a marketplace like uh, Uniswap or you know FTX or whatever it is, and just be like, hey, I've got this asset. I want someone else to kind of take it. You know, I think the value is going to be so and so much. And people say, okay, fine, I agree. And they take it from you. And then they use it for whatever they want to on blockchain Z, which they've, they're working on. So I think that's kind of like what we're seeing is the beginning of it. The fact that interoperability and the demand to be able to kind of swap your assets across different blockchains, or in this case, different metaverses, will increase. We're already seeing the signs of it right now. Like, why would they go ahead and make these kind of like interoperability between blockchains when the entire concept about being able to generate value to your network is to make sure your users stay on your network, right? That's Metcalfe's law. How do you value a network? You square the number of users on the network. That's kind of like the way you do it. Well, you do it because of the fact that that's what your, 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 your users are asking for. They want that. And if you don't do it, 
someone else is going to do it and then everyone's going to run and join that network so i think this is kind of like uh, inevitable because um like i said we've reached a point in which we want fluidity we want efficiency we cannot think about going back to you know um, a bank and taking 3 days to open a bank account it's just unfeasible today people won't won't accept it and if this is the way that the market wants to move for whatever reason then there will be suppliers who will provide that service so uh hit the nail on the head of the next bit that i wanted to talk about so i think when everyone's talking about nfts metaverses all this kind of stuff people are thinking about objects but the the next big thing that's happening and everyone's referring to it at the moment is web3 um is the service layer on top of all of this um and i think this is the more the more interesting part of the whole conversation especially for businesses that already offer services like it in in a pre web3 world so what kind of ser- you were talking a little bit about facilitation services then the the sort of almost the currency conversion of of the um of the metaverse world what other services can people maybe begin to kind of like state their claim over and start building um are, are there a, any sort of like easy pickings or companies that are already doing something that would transpose well into the these systems Yeah for sure I mean I think the way that people need to kind of look at it today is the fact that um what you're essentially seeing today is um almost like a new internet stack being created right So I mean previously you had if you kind of go down the stack then you've got stuff like um you know who's kind of like giving you um a a a lot of your infrastructure services like you know your 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 scalability and your protocols and it turns out that you had certain web protocols and if you look at your scalability then it depends on the servers or the providers of the servers you've got like your aws your microsoft azure stuff like that and then came the upper layer on top of that which was in terms of functionality um like your github and your docker and then you had the apps and that's your facebook and your you know google play play and all those different things and then finally the the ux which is your browsers which is your chrome and everything else The funny thing about blockchain is it's not just the fact that you can now transfer value from point A to point B. They've had to build an, uh, a separate stack over there. So previously while you had um your web protocols, now you've got Ethereum and Cardano and stuff like that, right? Um if you want to think about servers, then you've got uh, solutions which are coming out like storage which allows you to kind of store your information in a decentralized way and use a token in order to kind of do this exchange between people. um if you want to be able to do you know your github and your docker you've got the equivalents of it in maker and in the kyber network um same with the applications now you have decentralized application marketplaces where you can go and actually find stuff like uh, dap radar and stuff like that and even up to the level of the browser so if you're not happy with using chrome you can use brave or you can use mew so i think that's something that's super interesting because we're seeing kind of like a comparative technology stack one which is based on communicating protocols and the other one that's based on value exchange protocols but they're very similar because you're not reinventing the wheel you're kind of like doing the same thing but with a different kind of framework and the moment you start thinking about the the web3 landscape then if you've got a different stack that's getting created then guess what it allows you to kind of create a new kind of um landscape a web3 landscape which you know nfts is just like one part of it 
But there's so many different ways that that landscape can evolve, whether it's in terms of stable coins, whether it's in terms of um, payment um, solutions, whether it's in terms of uh, just collecting all the data that you can then have analytical solutions that are built on top of it. Um, chain APIs. I mean, the, the, there's so many ways that the Web3 kind of like landscape is continuously evolving. Um, and yeah, it's 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 pretty hard to keep track of all of this stuff. So we kind of try to make sure that we have, you know, um, an overview of all of these things because it's very connected to what Capgemini's business is. We work with, you know, doing API management and stuff like that. And tomorrow those APIs are going to be decentralized um, applications and, oh, sorry, or decentralized apps. Um, then, yeah, we need to be able to understand, okay, fine, what are the differences between a traditional API and a blockchain-based API or a blockchain-focused API? How do we manage applications today at an enterprise level for our clients? And how do we do the same thing with decentralized applications for our future clients or existing clients who want to move to the blockchain space? So it's it's uh, it's wildly interesting, It's it's and it's something that's moving at very fast pace. So let's uh, take that forward and think about those APIs and the, and, the, and the payment rails and all that kind of stuff. Um, traditionally, we rely on credit card network, credit card networks, core banking, all, all the lovely fintech words um, to really power like what what, what we uh, what we use today. Um, and there's an inherent level of trust in in that stuff we know like we can point a finger if something goes wrong we know that it's mastercard's fault or or a, a bank that we can call to sort something out when we move to a decentralized um uh system there's suddenly the trust changes we are instead of trusting an institution or a way of doing things we are now trusting code and we're trusting that the computers can do their job and get it right and if it fails, there's not many other places to go. How, how are we going to deal with this trust problem? And I, I don't know whether this has been breached by Capgemini in, in any way, but as we move to decentralized systems, that the, the trust and responsibility um, get, gets dragged away from the service provider because it's being built on a system that they don't necessarily always control. So how do you rationalize that in a business context um, over you know, some of the more sort of like recreational things that, um, that might be happening with video games and yeah. the like? Yeah, so there's definitely a need for kind of standardization, right? I mean, standardization always gets like a, a bad reputation almost because it looks like you're trying to kind of like slow down things or something but in reality standards are very important if you don't have the right kind of standards how does your how does the email um that you use know that okay fine this file needs to be opened with a jpeg and this file needs to be opened with an excel app you know it's all of those things are kind of based on standards and so i think with what's happening today is standards are taken very seriously in the blockchain world as well like every time you've got all these different kinds of like interoperability questions that happen if you go to any of these symposiums or, or, or seminars the standardization thing is over there and they're trying to find out that okay fine what's the lowest common denominator way that we can go ahead in order to make sure that everyone's kind of respecting a certain kind of a standard um by the way this is how the internet was created too before the internet became what it was there had to be this grassroots kind of level approach that allowed us to kind of establish these standards um and you had it coming from you know Private people and public people, everyone kind of came together to kind of get that going on. So I think the standards conversation is is getting more and more mature. And the reason that you know it's getting more and more mature is because you have a lot more interest from regulation today. 
So regulation does have a very important role, which often gets kind of like, you know, beaten upon. But it's super important for what you're trying to do. And a good case where this is happening is for the past six months, one of the companies that I follow is FTX. I kind of follow them because I use them pretty often as well. And they want to do something which is known as being able to launch uh, derivatives, right? So if you're getting into the derivative space, how do you actually make like a derivative for any cryptocurrency that you've got out over there? The regulators are not turning around and telling FTX, don't do it. What they're doing instead is having, you know, two-hour calls almost on a daily basis with the people who are trying to put this out there to ensure that they can be able to do it in the right way. And so I think that the standardization thing is going to happen um, as time goes along. The second part, which is kind of, again, like a shortcut kind of a way to do it is if you're going to be outsourcing a lot of your, your trust to the code, well, then maybe you should have some kind of certification process. And that's something which you find today. So if you go on Aave, which is, you know, the liquidity provider protocol, and you actually look at the documentation that's related to it, you have multiple tests which are done on the smart contract. And these are done by companies that you can hire and pay them, or they, sometimes they come and do it by themselves to make sure that the smart contract does what it does. We want to be able to do that properly. And the reason that we have these kind of like official bodies today, or at least these you know, entities that do the certification processes, because we burnt our fingers with the ICO craze in 2017. The ICO craze in 2017, people were making wild claims, and sometimes the smart contract didn't even function. So that, that's like a second layer of trust. It's not the same as having a standard, but it's certainly something which is kind of like helping get more and more validity in the code. And then finally, one of the areas where you've got a lot of growth today is in smart contract insurance. So, you know, there's companies today which offer insurance on the smart contract to make sure that whoever's using it, there is some kind of liability that they have ownership that they have to pay for in case something happens. and what this also shows you, which is pretty kind of prolific in crypto, and it will be the same in the metaverse space, I guess, which is um, every time there's a problem that gets emerges, there will be a bunch of people who start kind of create a business model around it and solve that issue. So I think this is kind of like the way that we, again, we're still in the early stages of this metaverse kind of journey. The blockchain, I think, will have a great role in it. But we're going to see this kind of like, you know, stopgap kind of solutions in the very beginning before we get to a much more formal architecture. Cool. Um, and then so build, building from there and, and thinking about all these different paradigms that um, that are, are going to change the way that we interact with both technology, but also the world around us. Uh, I know that sounds quite cliche, but let's think about the, the skills that are needed to actually build metaverses and, and the, the products and services within them. They're very different from what we've seen today. Uh, for example, um, marketers, creators, all that, all, all, the, all the kind of people that may use Photoshop on a daily basis might need to start thinking about how they build things within Unreal Engine and extending out that way. So they're moving from 2D to 3D. That's a completely different paradigm that you've got to think about. Um, people that work with current banking systems are used to... Um, COBOL infrastructures and and slow working core banking systems and building fast APIs on top, but now they're going to have fast APIs all the way up. So that and DevOps is a completely different way uh, is is completely different in this context, moving away from the centralized cloud computing systems to uh, distributed systems. 
how how do people need to think about skills and the people that they're building their teams with? Do you need people that are potentially you move away from um, 2D strategists towards 3D strategists or do you try and train the people that you already have that have the domain experience to build towards a goal? What what do you think? Do you reckon it's going to be fresh talent or it's going to be training or it's going to be a bit of both and what's going to be more valuable do you reckon at this point? Yeah, I think it's really context relevant, right? So it really depends on what you're trying to do. If, if you're, let's say that you're like an automobile designer um, and you're trying to get into, you know, the metaverse space for whatever reason, you know, you, you've decided to kind of like move into that. So the skills that you have over there, they're much more easily translatable because you're already working in 3D. But let's say you're someone who's just like a basic graphic designer today and you're a bit precocious and you kind of see, hmm, this is actually where everything's kind of moving to today. Maybe I should kind of like figure out how do I participate in that. And you start doing an upskilling thing by yourself. I mean, it's like asking me how people who are working in IT in, in, in the early 2000s, how do they upskill to, you know, what they're doing today? They learned it. You know, maybe they went for a, a curriculum and they, they or they, their company helped them do it or they just did it by themselves. So I think like wherever there is more and more opportunity and there's the ability for you to kind of express your creativity and authenticity and individuality, people will kind of naturally pick up the skills. Having said that, if you're in a large company, of course, you do need to kind of ensure that, listen, we want to be able to move over here. So here's our, our strategic direction that we want to go towards. These are your personal um, and professional goals, which you need to be able to kind of adapt to that. And here are the tools that we're putting into place in order to do that. So I think there's a role for leadership to kind of clearly define and understand that if we are going towards a metaverse space, whether in the context of, you know, digital twins or in the context of making direct-to-consumer kind of platforms, what is it that we're trying to achieve? Why does it make sense for our company to be able to do such a thing? And what's required in order to get there from where we are today? So you kind of like retrofit it and you build a curriculum to that. Then you have, obviously, the people in your company who will have different levels of qualifications. So there's probably some, a small group which will be kind of like the, the early learners who jump inside and say, okay, fine, this is how you adapt. And then they train and mentor the other people who come inside till the point comes in which you really start wanting to expand. And that's probably when you'd be saying, okay, if we're going to hire these kind of people or we buy this company or we work with this ecosystem so that we can get that complementary skill set. Um, I think where the metaverse does have a very unique kind of a thing is because of the fact that there's so much going on inside over there, there's the creative side, there's the hardware side, there's the economic incentive side. I think it's going to push companies and even like, you know, communities to start thinking in terms of diversity in a very different way. And in this case, I'd say it, it would be more focused on cognitive diversity. So cognitive diversity is the fact that you and I, for example, we're around the same age, but we've got very different backgrounds and very different education you know, backgrounds as well. When we look at a certain situation, even though we're getting the same information coming to our brains, the way that we perceive the solution will vary different because it's based on um, the way that we have experienced life and the way that our, our brains are essentially connected. Um, in evolutionary psychology, they call this the lexicographic rule. Um, and it turns out that if you've got people with different kinds of lexicographic rule mechanisms, that they increase the diversity of the solution space to the same problem. And the greater the, the, this cognitive diversity that you have, 
the better you're able to deal with complex problem solving and the ability to do, deal with predictions, which is pretty much, you know, most of what current business is all about. We work in a knowledge economy, so, as they say. And that's where you find majority of the um, the issues and the places where you can get the you know the business biggest amount of business impact. So I think that because of the fact that you're now kind of seeing this there's this paradigm where there's a good amalgamation of all these different things: the hardware, the software, the 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 creative design aspects, and the fact that it needs to be rendered in you know multiple dimensions. It's going to force firms to start thinking about cognitive diversity in a scientific way, in a much more structured way in a much more how do we make a business profit out of it kind of a way um, rather than just kind of like doing what we do today. Cool. I think that's a really nice way to wrap up how we think about metaverses as a whole because at the end of the day, it's not going to be the technology that drives them forward, much like the internet and everything else that we do. It's it's how we think about it and how, how we treat um, behavior and people within it. Um, I'm going to end with uh, my absolute favorite question to ask everyone um we hear a lot about metaverses nfts blockchains all, all this stuff and and a lot of it's built on uh for lack of a better term uh, the hype train um it sometimes it's very difficult for businesses to actually figure out what to focus on and, and where to put the pressure as they grow and try and and try and predict the future um I'm not going to ask you where I think people should be focusing. I'm going to ask you where you think that they shouldn't be focusing and the worst bit of advice that you tend to hear surrounding these, um, surrounding these things. Um, I, I work with a lot of clients that, um, want us to create graffiti-esque NFTs and they want us to, uh, to essentially help them become the next Banksy because they, they think that that's what needs to happen next. Um, and uh, and it, it stops short of the real value of what NFTs ca can be. And it, it's focused too much on the moment of, I want to send, uh, sell a JPEG. And that's where I, I see the stumbling blocks for a lot of companies that they see what everyone's talking about and get too wrapped up in that. Uh, but I'd like to hear your, your perspective here and, and where you think some of these stumbling blocks are and, and where you see people getting stuck or kind of getting, getting a bit misdirected um, towards what they really should be working on. Yeah, I mean, that, that's such a, um, you know, that, that answering that question can go in so many different directions. Um, but for the sake of brevity, I think I'll, I'll give the same answer that I give people who kind of, you know, talk about investment. And when you, if you're doing investment, whether it's crypto investment or just managing your portfolio, whatever you want to do, if you can't make a small portfolio grow, you can't make a big portfolio grow. And I think when it comes to anything like metaverse or NFTs or, you know, any of these kind of like new things that's coming out, start small. Great. You've got this great idea. You want to become the next Banksy. That's an objective. That's not, a ta that, that's not something that you're actually going to start doing from day one. So start small. Figure out that, okay, fine. Does this idea actually make sense? Are there people out there who actually want to buy this? I have an artist friend, for example, and she is someone who's really good with physical art. And now she wants to kind of translate that into the NFT space. And I asked her her motivations about it. And she gave me, you know, a, a good answer. And then I said, okay, fine. Start small. Just make a little bit. Put it out there. See what the market thinks. Just because you think it's the best idea since baked bread doesn't mean that other people are going to share that same opinion. And if they don't share that opinion, why? Like, how open are you to 
changing your own opinion like how do you actually change your own mental model because you know you, you can't go around saying that everyone's an, an idiot because they don't accept my idea <laughs> so start small figure it out you'll have to pivot you'll have to change and then finally when you kind of do this kind of iterative process a couple of times you'll probably come across something which makes sense or contribute to a bigger picture which you know a movement is being created so that's the way i'd go about it i you know i'd stick to the kiss rule in this there's no doubt that the concept of a metaverse is going to be critical to how we work play and interact with each other in the future what's more important to keep in mind though is not getting wrapped up in hype and choosing the right term to interact with the new paradigm for many of us that moment is probably now if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. This podcast was brought to you by Capgemini Invent. We'll see you soon.